Welcome to the podcast, everybody. First order of business. I mentioned this to you, but we've I held some of it back for the podcast. Okay. Uh, very interesting. I log into the YouTube Studio app mostly to check uh, how monthly views are doing. And at the bottom of it, you see comments. And very common in our comment section is not the most popular view video. It is actually our most popular of all time, but not the most popular today, the Brie Larson video. And extremely, extremely common are repeated paragraph-long things that have probably been posted dozens if not hundreds of times uh, from what are clearly bot accounts. And I could maybe read one, but it's like, charisma is not something you uh, use to hurt other people. Don Cheadle was being mean to Brie Larson. Very specific to our video. Mm -hmm. Also, doesn't appear to be a native English speaker and reposted dozens of times. Why do you think they're bots and not just angry Brie Larson fans? Dozens and dozens of the same exact thing posted. Got it. Uh, there are what appear to be bot conversations where there is a thing, a reply, a reply, and they are all things that have been written dozens of times. Got it. So it's and, not that innovative, or it's not it's not creative. The no, AI but, is not but creative. there's probably in terms of like uh, you know creatives that they have number of them. There's like I don't know five to ten that I've seen that are different. And it's not cycle more. Through them. They cycle through, they have conversations with themselves, and every okay. single one, I'm sorry, I'm on to you guys, I'm exposing, uh, is first name, last name of a person that is all in lowercase. So it'll be like, Mary something, you know, like Mary, I don't know, uh, spend thrift, whatever. Okay. Uh, and they're all like that, they all follow that thing. So I was watching the guy who wrote The Social Dilemma, and he talks about, you know, how Russian bots do, one of the big things they try to win is the top comment. Because, and I know that I'm guilty of this, when I read a story, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, thinking through this would be way too hard. Like, let's just find out what yeah, other yeah, people yeah. think and I'll outsource my critical thinking to the fucking mob. Yeah. Uh, so here's what I don't know. And I, like, what is the economic force behind our specific one? Is it that there's a PR group? I, I don't think Brie Larson would ever deign or, what is it, stoop to, like, pay a person to do this shit. It's no, way beneath. It's way beneath. But that her publicist might have a reputation agency firm that has a budget that spends money on like... Sure. I think it's very possible that let's say if you go, and this isn't true, I'm just speculating, but let's say you go work uh, with CAA, like the biggest mm -hmm. talent agency, yeah, yeah. that just by hiring them, one of the things that they do is work with a publicist that hires yeah, yeah. a PR firm that does what they call internet scrubbing. So mm -hmm. if you have a scandal they'll just make sure that it doesn't hit the front page because they'll instantly go out to all these places and get you published in positive articles. So you're, the negative news about you goes away quickly. Mm -hmm. They might just do that for everybody and have bots for everybody. Yeah. Like when you come to CAA, one of the things we do is make sure that the internet is kind to you. It's wild uh, seeing it from the inside because what's also crazy is my experience. I felt upset when I read it the first time. I felt misunderstood i wonder should i have done more in the video which i've often asked myself to like i thought i, I was like here's brie larson not doing the things that made people dislike her sure. and i purposely chose her and not other people to be like she is not a bad person because she had these moments that were unlikable like here she is doing the opposite and people around her are responding very positively mm -hmm. uh and i was like shit maybe i should have done more and just that some fake opinion got inside of me yeah yeah and like moved me for a period of time. And I wonder how fucking often that happens. Mm. Uh, it seems, yeah, how many fake, and we've talked, you know, 
what are people's real opinions on, I don't know, Ukraine or student loans or fucking anything, I wonder how many of them that I've internalized, reacted to, been mad at, frustrated, felt bolstered and supported by do not represent an actual human being. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're on Reddit and you're like, God, everybody's just so insanely yeah, and then insert yeah. the thing. And then you just realize you're talking to computers. Yes, yes. And then also some people who have been made into computers because they only really are having conversations with computers and people that talk to computers. And you know what I mean? And now the whole comment section for our example is like thinks that I went too far in this video or something like that because that's what the comments has moved people to say. And now that's an opinion that is held by flesh and blood. Is that true? No, no, I don't know what people think, uh. man. I have no idea what people actually think. Um, I can look to the upvotes, which is like 98%. It seems like people appreciated the video. Uh, it might be 95%, I don't know. But yeah, I have no way of really understanding the reaction to the things that are out there, most scary stuff that I've created and want to make sure that I do a good job and that I'm fair with. Um, so that was all. I just was like, holy shit, I'm, uh, I'm crazy for even looking at this because <laughs> the noise to signal ratio is so screwed. Yeah. So, but anyway, what you got? Well, I have a bunch of stuff that is so unrelated to each other. I don't know where to start. So I'll start with the thing that's closest related to that, which is a friend of mine sent me an article about how Amazon is taking down the ability to review their new show, their Lord of the Rings show. Mm -hmm. And they're claiming it's because people are review bombing them for having minorities. Mm -hmm. And people are too, fantasy fans are just insanely racist mm -hmm. is the hypothesis. And it reminds me of Captain Marvel, which is, was a movie that got slammed by audiences. And people said it's because they didn't want a female superhero. Mm -hmm. But Wonder Woman was pretty loved. Everybody yeah, yeah. thought that was good. And so I see this trend, same thing with She-Hulk, where if you are critical, the creators or fans will try to claim prejudice yeah. to protect the art that they like or created. They'll say, oh, you only like, you only dislike Captain Marvel because she's a woman. You only dislike She-Hulk because she's a woman. You only dislike Lord of the Rings because they're, they have minorities. And I think that claiming prejudice there actually waters down real instances of prejudice. I think yeah. it hurts the ability to prevent when that actually happens. Because sometimes things just have bad writing. <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah. Ben Affleck's Daredevil wasn't liked and it wasn't because Ben Affleck was a man and they wished that a woman had been Daredevil. It's because people just didn't think it was good. And I think that's what's happening with Captain Marvel, which mm -hmm. I didn't think was particularly good. I haven't seen the Amazon show, but I went I into what are people saying? And then most of what I saw wasn't, there's too many people that aren't white. It's the writing's not good. It's not good. Yeah, and it's so... It's not good. But it's not one out of 10 bad. It's just, I don't want this. Like, it's like yeah. five out of 10, I don't need to do this anymore. So, I, not to get sucked into the specifics, but um, I watched that show, and I watched House of the Dragon, and they both have race-swapped characters. Yeah. In House of the Dragon, it's arguably more detrimental to the plot because the idea is that there's this old Valyrian blood, which is a very specific type of person that looks a very specific yeah, way. Yeah, George kind of wrote it so that race did matter for the show. Kind, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the show's been pretty positively It's received. got an 8.8 .8 out of 10 on IMDb yeah. with 98,000 reviews, and the show is good, and I do not fucking care anymore. Like, you know, at first when I heard, I was like, Come, I don't like that this is being pushed so hard, but when you're in the universe, you go, you know what? I enjoy it. Like, the politics is great. It's, well, yeah, this it's, is, it's this just is kinda, fun to watch. Yeah, this is kind of my point. Like, don't you don't want to take ownership that your show's not good, so you claim that the fans are too mm -hmm. racist 
to enjoy a show with minorities, but I can just go find fantasy shows that have minorities that aren't getting slammed because they're actually good. That released the week before yeah. <laughs> with a larger discrepancy of how this fits in the world that people found a way to forgive because the writing is good. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. And you're saying forgive, which is a weird term for this. So for people who didn't read the books, George hypes up the importance of this. It's literally a plot point. That of, the, of the first if, Game of Thrones that book if Joffrey, is the color of people's hair. And, yeah, yeah, Joffrey like, is blonde and it's a huge plot point. And so these, the, the, the reason you're saying you forgive is because it's not true to the source material. That's what you're saying. It And again, it's it's arguable, I mean, not to get deep into the minutiae, because the Valerians and the Targaryens are not the same. They're both from Old Valeria, so technically it is possible that this is a different... Sure, like, I think at, at a high level, it just doesn't matter because the actors are good and the writing's good, and so people like the show. When he, yeah, when he's on Dragonback, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> he's just smoking everything. And yeah, I'm, I'm drawn... Here's what it is. You know, what I feel when I watch that Amazon show, I do not feel like I'm in Middle Earth at all. I feel like I'm on a soundstage. Like, I feel I haven't seen either, so I, I don't have... I'm in, I'm in Westeros, man. It's, it is... I don't want to say as good as the best moments of, you know, seasons one through four, but it has the potential to be. Cool. Well, I'm going to start watching it. So, Well, not yet. I, I want to do you the favor of like, wait till you can binge it a little bit. That's, I think, sometimes a more fun experience. Or if you want to do it week to week and you've got nothing we'll to see. do. Yeah. If you want to go the other direction, talk about the guy who's at war with the woke moralists. Uh, Jordan, Jordan Peterson's in the piss news. Piss off fucking everybody. Jordan Peterson's today, in the news again. Well, this isn't really, this isn't piss off anyone. I just thought this was uh, interesting. So, spoilers for the new Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles movie. No, wait, please. <laughs> but I didn't know, I don't, I don't know anything about the movie really. There's a villain in it that's played by Chris Pine that is based on Jordan Peterson. <laughs> So first Jordan Peterson was Red Skull in the comics yeah, yeah. and now Olivia Wilde has made him the villain in her, this cult movie. Mm -hmm. The reason why is she said, quote, there's this insane man, Jordan Peterson, who is a pseudo intellectual hero in the incel community, a group of mostly white men who believe they are entitled to sex with women. And there's just a lot wrong in one sentence, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, it is impressive. So <laughs> Jordan Peterson has gone on Joe Rogan. So he, that got a couple of views. And he s said, if you're a young man and all the women are rejecting you, who has the problem? It's not all the women. That's a bad road to go down. If all the women are rejecting you, it's you. So it seems interesting to pick him to be the pseudo-intellectual hero to the incel community. He's also one of the most heavily published professors who's lectured at Harvard, amongst other things. So if he's a pseudo-intellectual, I'm not sure who is an intellectual. So I thought that was interesting. And it reminded me overall like the, of the Andrew Tate stuff, which is that Olivia Wilde probably could get pointed to legitimate critiques of Jordan Peterson. Definitely. But yeah. just decided that she hates him and is going after, she just got really excited and started criticizing him for a bunch of stuff that actually mm -hmm. doesn't make sense and isn't accurate to who he is. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting because she's just going around blasting this dude and she doesn't know really anything about like where he stands or who he is. Yeah. I mean, it's a point we've made many times before, but people's belief systems, uh, are not often based on what is true. They are based on what moves them up their particular social hierarchy and what gets them inclusion in their Hollywood group or, or the tech bros group or whatever. And uh, that is a good example of it. Like that is, you know. Yeah, I just thought it was great. This dude has spoken out against what the internet considers like violent, angry incels is the leader of them. And he's a pseudo-intellectual despite being incredibly well-published and has mm -hmm. a doctorate and all that stuff. So yeah, 
thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. You mentioned something to me that I don't know if you can explain better than I can, which is the TikTok algorithm differences between the U.S. and China. Oh, I don't know it that well. This is it's it's headline level understanding of okay. of this thing. I thought it was interesting. I didn't realize that this was even occurring. This is truly just a headline that I know nothing about, and I will repeat with that huge caveat, which is that the algorithm in the U.S. Well, this is this much I feel very confident in for all of the shorts is broadly pointed at increasing time on app and everything comes secondary to that. The things that increase time on app, it turns out, are not like pro-social for the good mm -hmm. of democracy and society. It's things that enrage you. It's things that titillate you. It's it's just not like thoughtful information to, to have a really well-informed citizenry. My understanding, this is the headline level part, is that China does not allow that within China. They... Uh, purposely steer the algorithm towards what they have decided are pro-China information, which might be science videos, might be Chinese propaganda, but they have an aim that they are pointing people towards. Whereas in the U.S., it is just whatever maximizes time on site and therefore profit and advertiser revenue. Um, so yeah, that's my limited understanding. Anything? I thought that was interesting. I just think yeah. it's funny because it's... Their app? <laughs> yeah, their app. It's their app. And in the US, they let it be as destructive as possible. They're just like, unleash it in the wild. Let it oh, fuck yeah. up everybody's attention span. Let it ruin the dopamine cycle and make everybody struggle to find happiness and let it divide people politically. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, this is sick. The US should definitely have this version of the app. I'm like, all right, cool. What are you guys going to do? Like, mm. no, no, that shit's poison. We would never yeah. allow that. <laughs> What's funny is like how un, and I'm sure it helps if you're trying to destabilize the U.S., but like how unnecessary things like Russian disinformation are to destroy the populace. Like we, we could do disinformation on our own. Oh, we do it great. Totally fine. We don't need you guys. Yeah, we're number one. <laughs> <laughs> we're not actually um, number one. Some people do beat us at the disinformation game. Sure. Like but North Korea. Oh, I just mean, like, it doesn't even need to be the U.S. It's just our own, the way the human mind works, the way these apps reward certain things, yep. what gets picked up, what gets spread, uh, will tend towards a confused, polarized, uninformed, uninformed is a weird word, um, a confused, polarized, uh, traumatized, and continually scared citizenry. Yeah. And you don't even need to try to destabilize a nation. You just need to say, let capitalism do its thing, yeah, <laughs> which, yeah. is, which is the coolest part. Like, show me in the algorithm where we're pro-China. We are just letting you be you <laughs> in your own and you country. you guys want to destroy yourselves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, people really like to get angry. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty great. Makes, makes all the social media world go around. We've talked in the past, it's a hard pivot, but we've talked in the past about how the word like addiction has a, a sliding scale mm. and so it's pretty obvious if you're addicted to drugs or if you're an alcoholic how destructive it is people get defensive if you tell them that the there's other stuff they could be addicted to like hustling and the grind mm. or their relationships or whatever it is because a lot of these more positive addictions serve a very important psychological purpose in terms of you either think you need it for love because of your childhood trauma or it distracts you from trauma like a lot of it's really probably trauma-based or childhood-based but people hate hearing that mm -hmm. and it's rare for a successful person to 
use the word addiction to describe what helped them become successful. Mm -hmm. Even though I think a lot of spiritual people would say like a, a lot of perfectionists and high achievers are fueled by negative things that they use NLP or wordplay to spin into positive things. So all that to say, Michael, I saw a Michael Jordan quote I thought was really interesting about his competitiveness now that he's retired and he's just competitive about everything. He's competitive about Sudoku. He's, he's like a nut job. Yeah. And they ask him, they're like, what's going on here? He said, I can't help myself. It's an addiction. You ask for this special power to achieve these heights, meaning I wanted to be addicting to competition. It made me get in the gym. It made me Michael Jordan. So you ask for these special powers and now you have it and you want to give it back. Wow. But you can't. If I could, then I could breathe. And this was on his birthday. So he's, getting, he's getting older, you he's know getting older and he's starting to realize, yeah. But he doesn't know how is the thing. He's like, hey, this is so deeply in me that I oh, can't. Man. But he's, yeah, he's like, yeah, I... I he acknowledges an addiction that he wants to give it back. And I think it was really interesting. He said, you know, if I, I could give it back, then I breathe. could breathe. And that Poor guy, dude. Yeah. I think that was really impressive because I think a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs I know or hardworking mm. business people I know, they are very hesitant to say anything fuels them other than the desire to contribute more to society. <laughs> and Bro, I'm so that, you know, this, I fucking hate when people do that. Yeah. Like I'm trying to impact x billion people it's like that is not real <laughs> well no and you you figure that out if you dive into what impact you spend any it? amount of time with them and you learn what impact means and it's like uh bro it's it bothers me yeah yeah no um, and i think that a lot of people they don't like saying like yeah i got here through some fuel it maybe wasn't the cleanest. And mm -hmm. it's great. You know, I have success that I wouldn't yeah, get yeah, back. Yeah. Like, that's how I feel. I got success I wouldn't get back. Life is great. And now we'll try to clean the pipes out and maybe run on something other than mm -hmm. whatever it might be. It's anxiety, a desire to be perfect, whatever. And so I thought it was really interesting to see Michael Jordan on his birthday just really say it very clearly in black and white. You know, yeah. I got here. I'm Michael Jordan because of an addiction to competition. Mm -hmm a deep desire to be the best at everything that I can't put down that suffocates me. Yeah. Oh, damn, good for you, man, for at least seeing it. That, yeah. I mean, must have taken many years to even get there to mm -hmm. where it's like, this isn't, I don't like this. I'm sure it took a long time for him to realize. Yeah. The other thing is that his experience, which other people assume is so, is one they imagine they'd like to have. Mm -hmm. I imagine is one of such inner frustration and anger and that guy said something, and he, you know, he better not fucking say that, you know. And any game he lost or any shot he missed, just, just fury, yeah, infuriated him, you know. So he would never do that again, yeah. <laughs> like, and and he didn't, you know, didn't lose after that, except the times that he did. Hmm. Um, yeah, man, that's increasingly. You were talking about addiction, the good ones, the bad ones. They really do have the same shape, which is that the person who is experiencing it will not identify it as destructive to their life because to do that would start the process of disconnecting from it. Mm -hmm. And so I see that, you know, I know a handful of people with drugs, alcohol, like they do not want to use the word addict. They, they, they do anything that they can oftentimes to get away from it mm -hmm. uh, because to admit that implies and, and actually moves them closer towards trying to escape that pattern which is they don't want to do they're too afraid to leave that pattern yeah i think there are people who can self-identify as alcoholics yeah, yeah, but I, I know some some of the people are talking about it's, it's like yeah they don't want to even think they should work on it like a lot of alcoholics are tr trying to 
shake that and it's hard and they still drink, but it's at least the awareness puts them towards AA or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so th- there's people who are like, I'm not an alcoholic. That's insane. I just like to drink a lot yeah. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> all <yeah>. the time. <laughs> I'm not a workaholic. I just need more, more yeah. money, more. I just need more. Yeah. Good, yeah, good indication of that is if the number that you need to feel satisfied grows as you hit it. Because I've seen that. I've seen people be like, oh, yeah, once I hit this, I'll put it all down and I'll go attack the second mountain. I'll give you another one that you said a nice round number, completely unrelated yeah, yeah. from what you would do in the world with it. That's, you know, for and, and for some people, that's one million. For some people, it's 10 million. For other people, it's a billion. But that nice round number is like... I'm, uh, I won't pull my punches. It is a dead fucking giveaway. <laughs> like, there's no chance. You've got trauma. So it's many driving people, you. So many people just mentally were like, <laughs> did I say 5 million people? I meant 4.75. And I'm that, saying that because the 3% uh, is yeah. <laughs> But uh, by the way, nothing wrong with the pursuit of money. I like money. I pursue yeah, money. Yeah, yeah, like, no problem. This isn't about not achieving. Go get $10 million. Go get a billion dollars. But like, understand your fuel because your experience of life is going to be a very fleeting moment of like having that amount and having it be meaningful to you and a very long experience of burning the fuel that you are burning. And that's going to be most of your life is what are you burning and are you aware of what it does to you? I would well, say the thing that- is, I think most people, I'm thinking of the people that I've seen that have switched. And when they were burning negative fuel, this wouldn't have resonated. Even listening to this conversation, they wouldn't we- have gone being one of those people. Yeah, yeah. So I so I don't I don't know how to how wake them up. <laughs> to help people become aware of their actual motivators. I think life is really one of the few ways because the problem with addiction is not like, oh, this is a bad thing and it was cosmically decided that alcohol or work or whatever is bad for you. It's that this path leads to inevitable suffering and pain that is uh, increasingly going to get harder. There will be like denouements of like, I won the championship, you know what I mean? But it, Michael Jordan, it just gets harder mm. to carry this. And so what teach like how stubborn are you? Like how much pain are you going to tolerate before you go, oh, this isn't working and I get it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's like almost unfortunate because the people with the most willpower and the most fortitude yeah. are the ones that buckle down the longest and the hardest. And like, that's a trait that people tell you to have is like, stick with it, stick with it. And there's almost something to be like a willingness to realize that your plan isn't working, which is the basic uh, tenant of Alcoholics Anonymous is you got to realize your plan. That's why the, the religious aspect is so important to the success of it, which yeah. I'm not religious, but if you're not willing to give it up to God a figure in the sky that might tell you the weird, crazy things, then it doesn't often stick. You need to believe in something bigger than you in order to like not follow your own plan. Hmm. I didn't know that. Is it step one of Alcoholics Anonymous simply recognizing the what you're currently doing doesn't serve you? Uh, I think it's like one of the first three is like your plan sucks and you have to give it to God. Like hmm. one, two, and three are something around that. Interesting. Or a higher power. You have to recognize a power higher than yourself. Uh, and the people that don't can't make it work. There's another cure for alcoholism. Psychedelics! <laughs> I'm going to answer a comment after this about why we always talk about psychedelics. But red. there was news that came out. Two doses of psilocybin pills along with psychotherapy helped people with alcohol use, uh, alcoholism reduce drinking for at least eight months after their first treatments. 
So at the end of the trial, half of the people who received psilocybin had quit drinking. Mm. Pretty cool. Yes. Is that recent? Is that... Uh, I think it just came out. Dude, it's very powerful stuff. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm liking psilocybin even more. I like MDMA to start for a lot of people. Personally, I'm enjoying psilocybin. I've been microdosing and liking it. Um, yeah, I'm excited about it. I want to do more with it as it becomes more legal. Do we need to add caveats around this? I feel like I almost always do and repeat myself, but I don't recommend it to every person. I don't uh, recommend it to anyone if it's illegal. If it's illegal, uh, don't do it. Find a safe and legal place where you're, you're not going to get in trouble. Um, and yeah, when you're speaking to an audience and you don't know the individual, it's like I can't certainly can't recommend it to everybody. Sure. But when I've been able to speak to individuals in my life, it is like to a person been very, very valuable. Yeah. But but there's also people to whom I have not recommended it because I like not nah, no nah, I wouldn't you're not it's not good for you. I want to answer a question that I saw in on one of our videos that I thought was interesting, and I want to give the other side its due. So this person is a psychedelic skeptic. Mm -hmm. And they say, you guys always talk about psychedelics. And yes, the FDA is tr calling them a breakthrough therapy. And sh you know, it, clearly there are benefits. This is impossible to argue at this point. But this is an audience question. S uh, often people do these substances and then they come upon a truth, whether that's a truth of the universe or a truth of their childhood. Why do you believe that that truth is true and not that part of the substance's effects, so let's say MDMA, in addition to like dumping dopamine, yeah. making you happy, one of the effects is it makes you think that what you're thinking is true. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, there is no inherent truth to what you're experiencing or the breakthrough you had about your childhood. It's just wrapped up in the experience mm -hmm. of this substance. I know my opinion, but I'll let you go first. Yeah, it's tough. It's... um. feel like, I mean, this is an analogy that I'm stealing, which is like, I'm looking through a telescope and I'm seeing craters on the moon. And the person who will not look through the telescope is asking me, how do you know that the telescope is not imposing those craters on the moon and that mm -hmm. you are not, and it's like, will you try it? <laughs> and, then we, and then ask me, like, try it a couple of times. And yeah. then when you, can you bring these questions back to me? But if you're not willing to engage with, the technology and I understand fear around that. Yeah. Um, cause like if you're like, yo, put this bullet in your brain and you'll become enlightened or whatever. Uh, I would not do it. It's like, I don't, I, I, uh, I understand the question from that perspective, but it's like, you gotta, to really deeply answer it, experience it. They, knew, what I would they say. knew you were going to say that. Yeah. They said the only comeback I've ever heard is you have to, well, you have to try it. I can give one. I have, in, I have, I can give one in your worldview of somebody who hasn't done it. I can, but, no, it, but I, it's not, Great. I have one. Yeah. Because they, they were like, everybody says, well, you have to try it, which is a lame comeback. I will say. You don't have to. If, <laughs> if the feeling of truth decayed over time, I would think it was the effect of the substance. But often with MDMA therapy, psilocybin therapy, specifically therapeutically, not a, a rave or a burning man, you will feel... Like you have recognized something about the world or your childhood or your relationships and it will feel true. And a month, three months, a year later, it will still feel true mm -hmm. when the substance has long left your system. Mm -hmm. And that is why I think that there, I, I feel comfortable hanging my hat on my takeaways. 
mm-hmm. because they don't just resonate in the moment, which I agree would be very poor evidence, but they still feel true indefinitely. So that's why I think that these therapies are powerful and real, and it's not just the substance impacting your brain to think this stuff is true. And, and to your point, and this person's question is like, people do not recommend you finish a session and then call everybody in your life and tell them what you've experienced. They recommend that you work through the realizations to understand that the messages, the experiences that you had uh, might not be like objective truths and that this happened to me in my life, but might more closely relate to, oh, this is a feeling that I've been struggling with Mm -hmm. and I was experiencing some sort of metaphorical way of working through it. Yeah, the so person, that's why you don't call every person to go, you know, blah, blah, blah. blah. Listen. The person I work with, they, they said ex- explicitly before the session, like if anything comes up with a particular relationship, mm-hmm. you should wait yeah. four to six weeks before you do anything except for introspect, talk to me, maybe talk to the person. Mm-hmm. But like, we do not want you proposing, having a kid, breaking up, like be just because you feel it that day, you're like, I know that I want to marry this person, want to break up with this person. Like that's something to recognize, sit on, talk through with your therapist, and then in a month or six weeks, you can take that action. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very specifically warned against. You're not supposed to be on psilocybin when you propose or break up. Yeah. The other one is that the, um, to, to this person's question, because they want something that isn't try this, um, which I stand behind is like that, even though you've called it out as a answer that you had is a very, strong rebuttal <laughs> yeah they're just, they're just curious if there's other stuff um there's other it wasn't an aggressive question it, sure, it really sure. was it's it felt open to hearing the answer didn't so, feel like gotcha gotcha a, a written gotcha question cool uh the positive impact which i like you mentioned in terms of you know people get off of these substances but i think in the developments of people's relationships the what people close to them tend to say, if those people are in a good place in their life, sometimes if you go to, you know, uh, a very dysfunctional family and one person does this and has an improvement, everybody might comment that, no, this is not good. But if yes. I think if you, using your own discernment and judgment, feel like you're around a solidly healthy group of people and they have positive things to report stretching into the future, I think that speaks to... Um, and I and I understand their perspective. It's like, well, maybe it just made you kinder, sweeter, nicer while wrapping it in a um, a fake wrapper of truth. One of the I'm floating away from this. One of the other things that I think is that it seems like living in accordance with reality is what makes things go smoothly in life. And when you lie just in your own life or deny reality you get a short-term benefit but long-term pain Mm -hmm. so the fact that things tend to go more smoothly i think is indication that you are living more in line with the truth or with an increased understanding of yourself and others Hmm. i wonder i think it would you have to have a really long time frame for that because you i can imagine yes someone and also where you catch someone so like sure that's good advice if you catch someone at 16 but if you happen to give that advice to someone who's 32 and been cheating on his wife for six years, <laughs> like, hey, when you tell the truth, things go more smoothly. He goes, I've been lying and things are going really smoothly yes. for me. I hook up with other people. My wife doesn't know. Smooth as butter. If I tell her, it's not going to be smooth. It's going to be rocky. Don't see the kids every day. All of a sudden, I have to give up my house. So I think what you would say is probably that that's 
a function of not living, honestly. That Oh, no, that, that, but, your, your point was right, is that uh, short-term lies are great. They work, <laughs> they work really, really well to get you what you want. Well, I think some people, it depends how you define short-term. That's all I'm saying. Some person has been cheating on his wife for six years. Goes, this is long-term, baby, six years. Yeah, yeah. Getting away with it scot-free, more than half a decade. She's got no idea. Mm-hmm. Smooth. Lying is smooth. And so I think your perspective is you have to take over the course of a whole lifetime potentially to recognize that what feels smooth is actually the horrendous worst moment of your life that's coming when you get divorced and lose custody and all that stuff. Or just feel out of sync and out of touch with your wife and like you can't be intimate with her because if you were to really open up and tell her the horrible things that you did that have hurt her, now, now that is unavailable to you in your relationship for the rest of your life. And you might not become aware of that pain literally for the rest of your life. You mm-hmm. might die not knowing what it would be like to be more intimate and comfortable with your partner. So that that is, and again, you yeah, might that, never that realize person, that cost. Exactly, that person thinks- You may thinks, never realize the cost. That person thinks that truth would be bumpy and that yes. lying was smooth. And they think until the day they die. Yes. So I think some people might not buy your- I don't, I'm, it's not, I'm not saying this is me, but I think I'm just, as the audience, some people might be like, I don't agree with that. I don't agree yes. that things are smoother when you live more in line with the truth. Yes, I understand that perspective, especially that I will absolutely grant that you can go your whole life uh, not realizing the cost that you deal with for the lies that you tell and thinking that things are going well because you have money or friends or all of those things while never really taking stock of the internal juggling that is required. Yeah. And this is the Michael Jordan thing. I can't breathe. Like that is what happens to the end of I think of a life spent lying. Yeah. It's also, it's tough because everybody's at different parts of their journey. So for instance, someone goes to a psychedelic retreat, they come back, they have a high paying investment banking job, lawyer job, whatever it is. They recognize it's not fulfilling their, you know, nourishing their soul or something that sounds very woo-woo to the Mm -hmm. other lawyers and bankers. They leave shortly after, credit the psychedelic therapy, say that they're much happier and go on to live what they self-report to be a very happy life. Their coworkers don't believe them, think they've gone crazy and don't want that. And it's like, hey, do you want to do this same thing? I love you. I'm close to you. Do you, you should come do this thing that made me quit our mutual job. And the person goes, no fucking way. I don't yeah. want to quit this job because they're potentially not aware of the reasons that they're in that job. Mm-hmm. And they probably subconsciously are very scared to go do that and recognize it. And I do, by the way, think some people should be lawyers and some people should sure. work on Wall Street. Some people, that is the job that nourishes their soul. But- I think a lot of people also get in there because of the money and the prestige. And so you have this mixed bag of people mm-hmm. that should be doing it and then people that are doing it for the wrong reasons. Sure. One of the things that I'm, I don't have the answer to and I'm struggling with working on trying to sort my way through is that is the, the space tolerance understanding that different people have different amounts of truth that they want to let into and tolerate in their life. And to not like the lawyer that needs to work 90 hour weeks, his entire career, you know what I mean? And, and is so resistant to invitations to notice that to like, he's got a friend that did psychedelics and he invites him. Hey, do you want to like, no, no, no. And he's got another friend who left the job and now he's like smiling in social media with, he's just got a bigger, like it's just a bigger vibe about him that is better. And that's not for me. Like 
some people, uh, for whatever reason, uh, have just, they don't want to do it in their life. They mm-hmm. don't, they don't want to go past a certain point. And I think everybody, to be fair, I think everybody taps out somewhere. Cause I think like the truth is like, Oh, living, dying, be, you know, well, not everybody just, taps you know, out. and then everybody, and then the some monks just the go, who doesn't tap out. <laughs> everybody thinks is a weirdo. Yeah. So that's the thing. I think the other thing that can be off putting about psychedelics is sometimes you see the result and you go based on my values, mm-hmm. this does not look like something I want Yeah, yeah. without recognizing that when you do it, you'll have your own journey and you'll become aware of your actual values. And if you are living in alignment with those, you will just get good feelings and you'll think about other stuff. You'll think about how you can be bigger in the world and help more people. Mm-hmm. Like there, it doesn't make everybody quit their job, mm-hmm. but I think sometimes people see other people having reactions that they wouldn't want and they get scared. That's the reaction I'm going to have. have. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm yeah. in a happy relationship. That person broke up after psychedelics. I don't want to break up without recognizing if your relationship is good, you no MDMA in the up. world. Yeah. Is, all you're going to do is go do it. And feel, we just had a buddy do this. He felt so elated to be with his partner, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it was a brief moment in a journey that mostly focused on other stuff. But yeah, yeah, it doesn't tell everybody to do the same thing. But I do understand that for people who have never done it and are scared of it, they, they look at people who have outcomes in the world they don't want and they're worried that it's going to force that upon them because mm-hmm. it breaks your brain you know and that's not how it works but for people who don't have exposure to it you know that they don't that's a fear that's a fear that the idea of it'll break your brain i know is a very common fear you know even one thing that perhaps i should have caught earlier to the question that inspired this is um the conception of truth that was sort of implicit in it is that truth is this singular objective thing that it's kind of like the elephant that we're all blind and we all touch pieces of but it exists outside of us Mm. and I think you could meet this person and I, and, and I could go, it reveals your truth to you. Yeah, like, their question is more, should you trust as deeply as you do that it is your truth hmm. and not just a sensation of truth caused by a substance external to you? Which is why I, I go back to the fact that the feeling lasts mm-hmm. a lifetime. Mm-hmm. That's what makes me feel confident that it's real to me. Because the, the substance comes and goes. It mm-hmm. clears your body pretty quick. Yeah. But the takeaway about your mom, dad, partner, business, kids, mm-hmm. self, that stuff sticks around so long that I think you can credit it as more than just the, the feeling yeah. of the substance, you know? Yeah. Versus like alcohol, you can dr- you can get really drunk and be like, I love this guy. Yeah, yeah. And you wake up the next day, you're like, yeah, I don't love that, that guy. That sucks, <laughs> you know? Or you get drunk and you meet someone, you're like, oh my God, yeah, yeah. soulmates. Or this you is do awesome. MDMA and you meet someone, you're like, oh my God, we're so close. And then a few weeks later. Correct. So you go to Burning Man, you do yeah, a bunch yeah. of MDMA, you meet someone, you go, this woman's amazing, this is my soulmate. And then you go on another date two weeks later, you go, this person sucks. Mm-hmm. Those are not real truths. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a good sign that it it didn't stick and resonate in a way that was permanent. And if you walk away from it and you go, wow, I realized this thing about myself or something in the world and you still feel it indefinitely into the future, that to me is the indication that it's real. Interesting. Because yeah, the substance stuff, that's the alcohol, that's the people that liquid courage it and hook up and then regret it the next day. That's very different from psychedelic therapy. Yeah. Well, there's also, again, this is not to contradict, but it might sound like it does, which is 
there's also like the truth changes. So the truth when you're drunk is you do really love that guy. Really. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. the experience is one of like, I love this guy. It, but it's a truth that doesn't, pers- you know, it quickly morphs into something else. Sure. And, it, and it was true. And so what you're saying is like the truths that this has tend to be more less dynamic like they're like oh you can rely on this you can make decisions in your life about who to be with what job to have again you said it once it lasts Mm -hmm. four to six weeks but if you if the day after you have a feeling you know i hate my kids yeah yeah and then a week later you go oh i realize i don't hate my kids what i was recognizing was like that's the feeling i thought my parents had towards me that's my greatest fear when i was living my greatest fear like by the four week mark if it's not your truth you'll have seen what it was i think Mm. especially if you're working with a good guide yes that was a long discussion hopefully answered the question hey this is where we're going if you don't want to hear about dnd and psychedelics <laughs> beware uh speaking of which this is a very short one thanks to all the dnd fan art i saw some dope stuff come in from the podcast That's i crazy. love the podcast i love you guys what a good audience of just awesome people i see intelligent questions you guys are very supportive of a bunch of stuff that we talk about and uh yeah saw some fan art that i thought was awesome very talented and I liked it. I appreciate it. Yes. That was um, really cool, man. I, I'm excited to get closer to artistic fields. Like I've, you know, we've made 500 plus million views on Charisma on Command. I did have one person that like drew a portrait of me, which was really cool. <laughs> um, we had 2,500 views on our D&D. And like that, yeah, yeah. I love being closer to the artistic side of uh, an audience, a community. And like, that's just so cool. So I want, I want to keep doing it. So thank you. We appreciate it. Questions, Justin? Yep. All right. So the one is, you guys mentioned you noticed friends leaving because of their love for money. I've had a lot of friends that seem to leave for similar reasons, but I'm having a hard time finding the pattern. How did you guys see the pattern in your own life? Oh, I mean, this was, it was kind of obvious. Well, kind of obvious, you yeah. You could watch the fire in their eyes diminish. So I, you know, I would walk into a conversation or a room, and by this point, Charisma on Command was often a thing um it was like oh nice to meet you like what are you guys working on like and that those topics i love oh i love your channel or like if even if they don't watch it oh my god five month subscribers that's so impressive like the stuff that they would connect on would be your business is doing really well respect yes and so they'll try to be like yeah dude like what's your plan for 10x in charisma command and we'll say oh well you know really it's about hiring a writer and an operations guy to make the business be healthy without us so we can go do a D&D show that we're really excited about and do open psychedelic centers. And you just see the person be like, why would you, what? Why wouldn't you just 10X the thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why isn't your goal the yes, most money? Yes. And so you have this weird thing where, and then you try to explain why D&D is so exciting because it's creative and it's in, you're going to, and then like, the but person you could just make more money confused. If you, yeah, and yeah. then you're like, what about you? What's your goal? And they go, I'm going to make a hundred million dollars by the time I'm X age. And you just go, oh yeah, if this, if I had said that, we'd be buds. We'd start a mastermind. We'd connect all the time. But you, I can just sense D&D didn't hit home with you. 100 million by a certain age didn't hit home with me. And we both like the other person's business that they've started and we get along well, but we won't connect, mm-hmm. you know? I, and I think often if your goal is a, something big like a billion dollars, you really only want to be around people that help you achieve that goal. And so once someone expresses disinterest in that goal, oftentimes that's just that's just it for that relationship because it's such a big goal that you really need everything in your life rowing in that direction. Sure. Cool. All right, Patreon. Patreon. What do we got? 
We're going to talk about the charisma of MK Ultra, uh, the tolerance paradox, and then give our thoughts on THC. Cool. MK Ultra is the guy dating Megan Fox, right? <laughs> Very charismatic, incredibly handsome. We've got, uh, so if you guys want to see that, join us on Patreon. Any dollar amount gets you access to this, everything else. The link is in the YouTube description right below. Um, and it keeps the podcast going. And we so appreciate all of you that have joined because that's why we're here. So see the rest of you on Patreon. Peace.